0: My name is Len, and I'm your host of Targeted Justice v. Garland, a podcast about an extraordinary lawsuit. And if you're wondering who Garland is, it's the guy who recently cried on 60 Minutes. I actually have no problem with grown men cry. I cry every time I get brutally attacked. I cry like a child because it's inhumanely painful, but of course you know it. We all targeted individuals know it. And then I take a sample of my tears and study it under my microscope for the presence of nanotechnology. And I find it there. So cry me a river, Mary Garland. Uh, by the way, this is one of my all-time favorite songs. And if we are... We're going to do a TI karaoke in New Orleans, and I've never done karaoke. <laughs> I'm, reserving I'm reserving this song, and I'm dedicating it to you, Mary Gallant. Well, since I mentioned nanotechnology, this past Friday, I was a part of the symposium on nanotechnology, along with an international team and my esteemed colleagues, Dr. Annemey Halter, another targeted individual and a brilliant physician, and Dr. David Nixon of Nixon Labs in Australia. One of the topics we discussed was the presence of nanotechnology in the blood of targeted individuals and their ability to emit MAC addresses. MAC stands for Media Access Control, which is a number assigned to every piece of wireless hardware and it's detected by Bluetooth technology. This is how you connect your wireless headphones, for example, to your iPhone. But humans are not supposed to emit radio waves. We're not supposed to be connected to a wireless network unless this is covertly done to you against your will and consent. To summarize, we now have evidence of the targeted individuals have both nanotechnology present inside them and that they emit a radio signal. This is a potential explanation of how TIs can be tracked anywhere and how they can be targeted with directed energy anywhere. So things are getting very specific and very realistic. And I am committed to doing more research in this direction with my colleagues And in this particular direction, uncovering the mechanisms of advanced neurological biosurveillance and intervention in targeted individuals, which, of course, has implications for everybody because we, TIs, are canaries in the coal mine. And even a handful of mainstream allopathic physicians now accept this concept. It's about time. But most of them are not, and we need to fix this. Doctors, it's time to wake up and smell the nano. And now let's say hi to my Sunday co-pilot, an attorney to whom we owe many, many, many thanks for her unceasing efforts in the fight for our liberation. A woman we all love, respect, and admire. Fabulous, Anna (laughs) Toledo. Hello.
1: (laughs) Hi, good morning. Good morning, Glenn. I'm so happy to be here. It's back home, we have a saying that the weed doesn't die. And uh, even though I was a little under the weather last week, I'm back. I'm back on. I'm glad to I'm, be
0: here. I'm glad to hear that. Good to have you on the podcast, Tanner. This podcast would not be nothing like it is without you. And last time on the podcast... It was just you and me, Anna. And and there's a reason for it. it. It's because I'm looking for guests who would give us some fresh ideas and some new perspectives. I cannot accept the status quo. I would rather have a shorter but more informative episode than regurgitate ideas we already dealt with. So if you have something unique to offer, please contact me if you would like to be a special guest on the show. The quest continues. As you know, we are in the holding pattern as the government defendants in the case asked for an extension. So we are not going to see any filings from the defendants until November 6th of this year. But that doesn't mean that we don't have any legal issues to explore. So before we get to these issues, do you have any announcements, Anna? Yes,
1: as as you very well said, October 5th, was the day that they were supposed to reply, but they got a 30 day extension until November the 6th. However, we discussed the part of the arguments we set forth in the appeal brief. And I wanted to mention two of the aspects of the brief that we didn't have time to discuss previously. And this is, I think it's very important that targeted individuals that are all affected by this case become very have dexterity in speaking about this because it is important to all of us. And um, one of the um, issues that was brought on appeal was the the matter uh, on the mandamus. One of the causes of action that was brought before the district court was the writ of mandamus, which is that when you ask a public official to comply with its duty one of the claims that we made against the public officials that were sued was that they had to comply with their duty that only known and suspected terrorists are supposed to be on this terrorist screening database not non-investigated subjects not innocent people without ties to terrorism that don't represent a threat to to national security because that is contained in Homeland Security Presidential Directive 6. And in the writ of McNamus, we asked the court to order these public officials to comply with a non-discretionary duty of their office. What's interesting is that in the memorandum and order of July 11th, the district court did not delve into discussing the mandamus petition that the plaintiffs made it was not discussed at all so that is one of the issues on appeal that was mentioned wasn't thoroughly discussed because the district court did not discuss it at all and then the other a uh, matter that is a uh, very important to all of us because all targeted individuals have at some point had an experience like this is that the law is not applied in the same way to them as it is to non-targeted people. And I tweeted about this perhaps two weeks, a week ago, which is uh, when Merrick Garland was testifying before Congress, he dared say under oath before Congress that the Department of Justice applied the law in much the same way to everybody and didn't discriminate. And that is absolutely not true because there is two sets of laws in the United States. There's a set of laws for non-targeted individuals, and then there's that for targeted individuals, which is that the law doesn't apply, the legal protections don't apply to targeted individuals. Just for an example, for three months, the, there was a motion pending to compel discovery of the status for the TDSB status of the 18 plaintiffs. And the court, usually, that's the kind of motion that the court would not leave without adjudication for three months, only to declare as moot when it's germane to the controversy. Because if the court examined or allowed plaintiffs to examine that plaintiffs that have absolutely no ties to terrorism are on that list, the court could not have arrived at the conclusion it arrived that the claims are fantastical and bizarre because plaintiffs had, you know, no business being in a terrorist database. So that's one of the things. Another thing was the transfer of the case from the Victoria Division, to the Houston Division, the courts are to respect the choice of venue by plaintiffs. And uh, in this particular case, the Department of Justice admitted in writing that the venue appeared to be correct, was correct, and nonetheless, without any party asking for it, the court on its own volition decided to change the venue of the case. That's another issue that was brought on appeal, that it was inappropriate for the court on its own volition without anybody asking for it to change the venue of the case because it is an established rule of law that courts are to respect the choice of venue that plaintiffs choose if it's correct, which the Department of Justice admitted was correct. Another red flag was that when the case was transferred to the Houston Division, the court did not issue what's is known as a rule sixteen order, which is the scheduling the case scheduling order. It's almost as if um, you know the court determined, well, you know, this case will be dismissed. I'm not going to bother issuing a rule sixteen order because there is no other reason for the court not to issue a rule sixteen order which is a calendarization of the case. And other motions, like the motion for reconsideration of the extension of time that was granted for the reply to the preliminary injunction, it was also not acknowledged. That that motion was not acknowledged, not even three months. That was fi- filed in February. In July, it was denied as moot. So it was just a series of actions by the court that are, inconsistent with the treatment that courts give to other litigants in other cases. And that is another a matter that we brought before the Court of Appeals, the differential treatment that, that these plaintiffs were given in this case. And so, you know, that's just another, we, we think it was an abuse of discretion and uh, that the case should be returned to the Victoria Division where it was originally filed, because that was the choice of venue. So I just wanted to mention those, you know, briefly, because there were various issues on appeal, not just the dismissal for failing to discuss the most important issue, which is that people without ties to terrorism should not be on a terrorist list as admitted by the defendant FBI in prior cases. So that's just what I wanted to mention.
0: Those are very important issues. It all falls under the umbrella of differential treatment. The fact that the mandamus, the TSDB request, this, that, I mean, you have a whole list of things that just support your idea of differential treatment. And that needs to be addressed. And the Fifth Circuit Court uh, judges, we are counting on you. Now, if you don't mind, let's go to my slides for the rest of the legal segment. We're (laughs) going to start with the case that, Anna, you told me about. That was a big surprise for me. Basically, a man in Seattle was erroneously blacklist and he died due to delay in medical health so this fits into the blacklisting category and denial of services let's see what happened i have a video from fox 13
2: the city of Seattle has agreed to pay over $1.8 million to the family of a man who died of a heart attack while medics waited outside his home. William Urick's 13-year-old son called 911 twice back in November 2021, but the EMTs were told to wait for a police escort because the address had been mistakenly flagged as hostile to first responders. Take a listen to the second 911 call from his son. 911, what's your emergency? It's the same. guy again. My dad, I can't, I can't tell if he's breathing. If he is, he's barely breathing. Do we need Yeah, one moment. I think, I think they're already coming over. Okay, well, let's. I'm getting medics on the line. One moment. I do need them in a hurry. The family's attorney says a previous tenant had been on the safety blacklist, but it had never been updated. When the son called the second time, the medics decided to go in without an escort. But at that point, it was too late. More than 10 minutes had passed, and Yurik died from cardiac arrest. No amount of money can fully compensate for a loss like this. But the family is pleased that the city has taken responsibility. Uh, the family is pleased that the city has fixed the problem. And the family's pleased to have closure so they can move on. Mark Lindquist says, in addition to addresses, the city now also relies on names for the list. It also updates the
0: list regularly. So, and then I thought after I heard about this case and I read the uh, news articles, I I tried to actually pull the case itself, but I, I wasn't able to. But nevertheless, I thought there's some things different and there's some things are the same between york and Calvert. and Calvert is of course one of our plaintiffs and anna hasn't seen this this is what we're doing i'm preparing slides and i'm doing my homework and then when we go on the podcast this is the first time anna sees this so when anna corrects my homework i am <laughs> this is my favorite part because i'll learn from you anna And I hope that all you viewers are also learning from Anna. So let me present what I thought is appropriate. And then, Anna, I would like you to either correct me, confirm, or make any comments. So Yurik in Seattle and Calvert in Texas, Yurik was refused medical services because he was erroneously put on the blacklist. Calvert, the same, refused medical services because he was erroneously put on the blacklist. Eurek's previously tenant was on Seattle police blacklist. Calvert was placed on the FBI's terrorist screen database list. In the Eurek's cases, paramedics went in despite police orders. In Calvert's case, paramedics waited for police to secure premises. And in Eurek's cases, his life could have been saved if the medics entered immediately. Uh, In Calvert's case, Life was saved despite police delay. How do they do, Anna?
1: Well, first of all, I think they're lying. I think that that blacklist is nothing but the TSDB. I think that the story about the previous tenant, is there. it's a cover-up. Just like, and I'll mention a little bit about Ibrahim's case later, the Ibrahim the versus FBI case, which uh, the FBI admitted that's the case that we talked about a few weeks ago where the fbi admitted she's she's from i think malaysia and she admit they admitted oh we put her there by mistake in the TSDB, and she's not a terrorist threat but she remains in the TSDB, but she's not a terror threat but she's still there and we're not going to remove her from there so she's definitely a targeted individual and and the same here they say oh it was a mistake it was the prior tenant no What what I really think is that they're they're admitting to a mistake because they don't want to admit to the truth. That is, he is targeted and he is in handling those three and four or four. That's what they don't want to admit. So since they don't want to admit the truth, they say, oh, he was erroneously. It was really the, the prior tenant because the lists are about names not about addresses. The lists are about identities, not about addresses. And while it is true, like in the case of Sadiq Long, his car was attached, his license plate, it, that is in Oklahoma. Okay, a guy, he was constantly, he's a target, he's targeted, he was constantly being stopped by the police because the license plate of his car was attached as a suspected terrorist, even though he had been removed from the suspected terrorist list. But And he sued because he continued to be stopped and harassed. I think he's targeted too. But the thing is, this story about it's a mistake, no, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's the same exact thing as Calvert. He's in the TSDB handling codes three and four, and they were waiting for the police to secure the premises. In the case of Calvert, it almost cost him his life because he had a blood clot from, and don't doubt, he's a young man. you is a young man. Don't doubt that the heart attack he got was an overdose of microwaves. Don't doubt that because one of the things that the government criminals are doing with the microwaves is that they are accelerating the hearts of people. So the mere fact, that triggered having to call the ambulance could have been itself the criminal actions by these operatives, you know. So I'm saying don't don't when they say it's it was a mistake, I don't buy it. It's not a mistake. It's the intentional placing of people in this illegal list, in this covert human experimentation list. That's what I think.
0: I have to agree with you. I don't understand what the things with blacklists, since when we started making blacklists, since when a police department would make a blacklist for paramedics not to go and help. What if there was a fire? Would it mean that the fire department wouldn't go in and stop the fire? It's ridiculous. So I'm with you. I don't buy this blacklist situation. Does law enforcement even has blacklists, I don't know. I've never heard of it.
1: It's. It, let me tell you, number one, it's discriminatory. It's denial of services. We, in targeted justice, we have evidence that Washington State is one of the places, Washington State and Oregon, are two of the states where the targeting is heinous, is atrocious, is Cruel is horrible, and just the fact that the police refuse to give—if the man is on the floor, I mean, son is saying, you know, he, he cannot even move. How can they even be afraid of a man that is dying? It's—it's it's almost as if they want him to die. It's almost as if they wanted to make it seem like, oh, he died of natural causes. Do, do you see what I mean? It's like, oh, he died of natural causes, but it's really murder because denial of medical attention is murder. I'm sorry. That's my opinion.
0: I totally agree with you, Anna, that there's no other way to say it. He's been murdered. Yes. Okay. So that begs the question, what's up with blacklist? Are we becoming a country of blacklists? And I think it's the part of the so-called dossier culture. Now we have various pieces of evidence that DHS and the FBI and the fusion centers they create cases, They, they create, they incentivize to make these cases for domestic terrorism. And so we're becoming a country of blacklist. And I'm asking blacklist. The last time I heard of a blacklist was a McCarthy blacklist. So is this even constitutional, Anna?
1: It's totally not. And and uh, DHS just rolled out this program with corporations. They're giving grants to places like Columbia, you know, I have to cut off my Columbia ring, because I am embarrassed that they are accepting money to be in this Stasi programs. Collaborating, making dossiers and spying on people to, you know, just being snitches. It's a culture of snitches. Do you remember when during the pandemic they were having neighbors snitch on people that had family gatherings? Well, it has evolved into a culture of of snitches and buying and blacklist and and, and they're giving money for it. That's what's really, it's just very sick, you know, because our culture is just so undemocratic. It's so anti-freedom. And until it starts happening to you, you don't realize how sick it is. And one of the things we are exploring here is this, the FBI and DHS and these people can see it coming that their little handling codes three and four will be declared illegal. So they are making new illegal lists to finagle their way and put the names of targeted individuals there because they want to continue torturing people. And that's why in in the complaint, we asked for a monitor, a court monitor that will make sure that they don't do that, that they don't take the names from one side and move them to another illegal list. So I think that's why these blacklists are popping all over the place so that without legal authority, they cannot be doing this without congressional authority. Remember that the terrorist screening database, its legal authority is very limited and it's Homeland Security presidential directive six. And it's only supposed to be known as suspected terrorists, not not the other thing that Timothy Gross said about supposedly immigration and state cre- department screening things. That's what's illegal. And that's what we're challenging because it's just completely unacceptable and illegal. So these blacklists, you know, they cannot be saying, oh, they are anti-law enforcement. What is that? You can have things like, for example, sex offenders only because they have a conviction. You can have gang members only because you have actual evidence and proof that they belong to a gang, the either conviction, arrest, whatever. But you cannot just have random innocent people that have never been arrested or convicted of anything put in lists like that. It's unconstitutional. You cannot be a person of interest like targeted individuals are placed on this list. You cannot be a person of interest for life. That's illegal. And it's got to stop.
0: This is truly disturbing. I think what we're becoming, we're becoming a country that forgot the meaning of due process. So let's move on and see what else I prepared for today. All right, changing the topic. (laughs) We are going to Nigeria and Nigerian army reports through daily Post that non-kinetic operations yielding results. Bandits surrendering, says Armin.
1: Yes, I know. I read it. They Mm. are controlling people with uh, directed energy weapons, and they're like, this is magic. This is, oh, this is so wonderful.
0: (laughs) Exactly. This is the new word for directed energy weapons. So we'll just go through the story Non-kinetic measures aimed at restoration of peace in Katsina State are yielding results, with several bandits and other criminals elements surrendering to the authority. The defense headquarters is aware of the resolve of some bandits to repent and hand over their weapons to the authorities, which is yielding good results. And the chief of defense staff assures Nigerians that the armed forces of Nigeria will engage in early lawful means possible to ensure peace and stability reign in our dear nation. What this is about is about the change in language. So if before you were looking For the term directed energy and you were, for example, doing a Google search or Google news search or whatever news service you and you are looking for directed energy weapons. Look, this article did not mention directed energy at all, because this is they called it non-kinetic operations. What non-kinetic means? It means that nothing is moving except the energy is moving. No missiles, no no bombs thrown, no grenades. This is just energy moving. And it's yielding results. The bandits are surrendering. And they also kind of tell the population, so don't worry, we're not going to use it against you. We're just going to use it against the bandits. So this is an article that fully is about using of directed energy, and it doesn't mention directed energy even So beware of this new language. And the other conclusion that I came to is that Nigerian government is more honest with their citizens than the U.S. government, because the U.S. governments would not admit even if when they're painting themselves on the corner and there's no way, there's just no way to deny that they have directed energy weapons, that they're using directed energy weapons against civilians, against people. It's an anti-personnel directed energy weapon system. They would not admit it, no matter what. So Nigerian government, one. U.S. government, zero. Do you have anything to add, Anna?
1: No, I don't. I just, I know that the people outside of the United States, many people know that the attacks that they get are from the United States. And that really creates very bad sentiment against the United States. We're supposed to be a, a land of the free, and we're not. Because I, I really love this country and what it stands for. And it creates a very... um conflicting feelings inside inside of us because, you know, those that are supposed to protect us and to defend us are the ones that are torturing us. And uh, the same goes everywhere in, in the world. People feel, people that know, know that it's the United States perpetrating this pain on them. And it's got to stop.
0: Yes, and um, it hurts me to say that Instead of being the land of the free, we are land of lies and cover-ups. It really hurts me to say about our beloved country. Let's talk about Karen Kingston. Uh, you probably know Karen Kingston as a medical legal advisor and biotech analyst with 25 years of experience. She's internationally recognized. She is uh, known as a Pfizer whistleblower, and she's the author of the Kingston Report, a extremely popular uh, sub-stack newsletter. And this week, she came out on Stu Peter's network as a targeted individual.
2: What does it feel like to be hit with a neuro weapon? Well, Karen Kingston knows what it's like to be targeted by a neuro weapon. And she says she knows how to treat it as well. And she joins us now. Karen. And then you you get kind of, um, dizzy and lightheaded, um, and your cognitive function, um, you're not able to really articulate, um, thoughts or ideas very well. And another thing that I noticed was, uh, almost an emotional numbness, except an extreme heightened sense of anxiety uh, and terror, if you will. So I really felt like I was in a state of terror and it was very difficult for me to articulate my thoughts as I I normally um, would. And I'm still having problems to this day. But what was most alarming was the tightening in my chest and this extreme thirst. Um, If anyone's been through surgery and anesthesia, it's kind of like that, but 10 times worse, to the point that I was on my knees begging out to Jesus and God that if this is a inkling into what hell is like to please save me and rescue me now. Dr. Anil Mahalchia actually recently reported that um, Senator Ron Johnson and other senators uh, reported that they were hit with EMFs and they suffer from Havana syndrome. Um, I was told when I returned to the States that if I kept a low profile and backed off um, that um, this would stop. And um, Paul, the devil doesn't honor his word. So I still need prayers and protection. We're under attack um, by an advanced artificial intelligence technology that, as James Giordano said, can be aerosolized. It can be put in your food or beverages, uh, and it can be injected. There's a dark um, cult out there that's secretive. And you don't know the reach of it. Um, And in the book of Mark 13, I think it's verse 14, it says, brother will turn against brother to death, Um, parent against their child, and child will put their parent to death. Um, People will be threatened to hurt other people. Um, Stu did a great interview with Laura Logan where she said the neighbors were turning the Jews over into the Nazis. You can't have a genocide. She said you can't have a genocide without the neighbors pointing where the people are hiding.
0: That sounds familiar. We, uh, sorry, Karen, but it's time for you to join the fight. You never actually said that you are, you said you've been targeted, but you're a civilian and neural weapons are used against you. That's a definition of a targeted individual. So Karen, if you're listening, don't shy away from it. There are so many of us. There are people just like you. I know you're very special. You're also very smart. So join the fight. That's my sentiment. What about you, Anna?
1: Well, I I love Stu Peters because he's fighting. He's doing a lot for, for raising awareness about a targeted individuals and directed energy weapons. It's not the neighbors that are firing the weapons. It's the neighbors pointing the finger where the victim is. And that is so very true the more the merrier as long as people like karen kinston as long as they realize that backing off is not gonna make their targeting go away i i want to to remind people i am doing the registering i receive the forms that people fill out through the target justice website but it comes directly to my email and one person after she filled it out then wrote to me the next day and say no 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 remove me because my targeting became worse and it's like you know what do you want to live, live like this forever it's you you have to it has to get to a point where you have to be courageous you cannot you cannot do things halfway you're either in or out but you cannot just like be back and forth no you have to be in this fight for good. You have to be committed to fighting these government criminals and telling them it's enough. is enough. Enough of abuse. I'm tired of this abuse. You, you, you can't. You, I, I allowed you to to abuse me up to this point. No more. You know. And so, you know, if 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 you register, and then you're like, no, unregister me. Don't you dare. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm very serious i sympathize but don't you dare come back and say oh register me again no because i am all for courage you know and and i know you go through a lot of pain i do too and and we don't go around preaching about it and and people shouldn't should stop preaching about their pain and should just you know move on we're going to fight these criminals Uh, just like, uh, we're going to take on again, the cell tower campaign, because if the government criminals don't have weapons to fire, they can't fire any, the satellites are not enough this week in Goji's call on Tuesday, please don't miss it. She's going to take on again. We're going to be in the call and, uh, Richard is going to be in the call, uh, for a little bit to explain additional information about, you know, the electric meters and everything, because we wanted to t- continue with that initiative. If the government criminals don't have an arsenal of weapons, which are the, the cell towers, the weaponized cell towers, they the satellites are not enough for the amount of targeted individuals they have already. The program could collapse. So let's not make it easy for them let's take let's force these companies to de-weaponize okay and so every targeted individual effort counts in this battle it's not just the legal effort that i carry out every single one of you counts whether it is giving a flyer to a commercial establishment creating awareness of the illegality of this program creating awareness about how vigilantism is illegal, creating awareness how this list is illegal. Every single one of you has to muster the courage to denounce the illegal practice of the FBI of placing innocent civilians, innocent people on a terrorist list and and illegally labeling them as suspected terrorists. It's illegal. And the Supreme Court has said it's illegal to label somebody as a suspected terrorist and to tell third parties about it. So I know you were going to mention something about that too, right?
0: Oh, yeah. We have a whole segment in front of us. I hope you're ready. Our second issue of Targeted Justices, the FBI files. But I also want to mention Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Anna Toledo. And that's the Anna I know. That's the fighting spirit that keeps all of us going. And we will follow you, Anna, and we will give it 110%. And there's no other way to do it. So yes, we're all in. All right, the FBI files is on. The second issue is called recruiting the informants, which is necessary for creating the dossier culture. You will hear this more and more because I think we're becoming a country of the dossier culture. I will be using one of Stephen Friend's interviews To elaborate on this subject, if you don't know who Stephen Friend is, he's the author of uh, the book True Blue, but most importantly, he's an FBI whistleblower. He testified before the Congress in the subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. And he is the one who told the Congress that FBI operatives are incentivized to open and maintain domestic terrorist cases without a reasonable suspicion of being a terrorist. And then nothing happened. But that is unacceptable to us. So we are going to continue. So this is about his uh, website that puts out various videos. And in this interview, he actually comments on one of them. And I found his commentary even more interesting than the actual segment. And we will play the segment at the end. In this particular uh, snippet, he talks about FBI protocols for acquiring confidential informants. Let's listen.
3: This is something that drops every Thursday at noontime on the uh, Center for New America's uh, all their all their social media and all their streaming services. Uh, you can get these. These are about two two and a half minute bite sized uh, summaries of a white paper that we put out last April and was itemizing some of the major weaponization abuses at the hands of the FBI. So today you can look forward to some information about how disturbing the protocols are for the FBI's use of confidential human sources, the the informants, the snitches. And, and just to cover it a little bit, uh, you look at what happened with the radical, traditional Catholic intel report that was generated by the FBI Richmond Field Office. And Christopher Ray lied about when he testified in front of Congress and said that it was limited to that office. And subsequently, we found out that there was involvement from Los Angeles and Portland and I'm sure others. But that was a type five assessment where the FBI was recruiting informants, innocent Americans who so was building dossiers on innocent Americans. They hadn't uh, committed a crime. They were just being looked into to see if they would be willing to become informants for the FBI and inform on their fellow parishioners about whether or not these people were prone to become radicalized as anti-government extremists because they held certain beliefs like being pro-marriage, pro-life, pro-border sovereignty.
0: This is exactly what you were talking about, Anna. In the next segment, he describes FBI abuses in their recruitment policies.
3: That's the most disturbing part of that report. The FBI is always looking for opportunities to cultivate sources, to generate domestic terrorist investigations. And it's not limited to just parishioners. The use of informants with the proper authority, you can recruit clergy members, journalists, lawyers, and you can even recruit minors with the proper uh, permissions. So these are abuses that the, the FBI has within, within its policies. And uh, and finally, I'll add that they can deploy confidential human sources overseas without host nation's permission or knowledge. And uh, you could imagine what would happen to those folks if they they wound up in front of the CCP. uh, I'm sure they would be disavowed and face some ramifications that you would never wish upon your worst enemy.
0: Now you can listen to his commentary about how FBI officers are incentivized to generate cases
3: the dirty little secret in the fbi is that there is a quota system and it comes out of washington dc and it dictates the number of cases and arrests that all the field offices have to generate each year and that's antithetical to law enforcement which should be about bringing crime down and that's what your sheriff is elected to do but now the fbi is incentivized to bring the crime stats up so it can justify its spending and get compensation get bonuses for senior executives of the fbi
0: so Those are his commentary. Now we can watch the actual segment that he's talking about. But what stood out to you the most, Anna?
1: I I have a spoiler alert because I read his book. So I know things like he said, you know, when they meet their quotas, they hold some of of all the goodies they've done for the next fiscal year. So they get all these economic bonuses. And October 1st, they start phone tap applications and all of that on October 1st, because they already met their quotas by September 30th. And just this last week, we got an example of what he says, which is that FBI came out saying that, and this is not to get political, but it's, it's just an example, that the FBI is going to be closely looking at Trump followers because they are extremists and they are terrorists or whatever. I don't I don't know the exact language. But that exactly goes into what he's saying. They're going to get snitches and they're going to get informants because they need to continue feeding since they cannot go anymore after because they they got in in the hotspot for going after parents in the school board meetings and they can no longer go after the Catholics that go into Latin mass because they got into trouble for that. Now they have to get into another group because they have to continue feeding this money making machine, which is the the counterterrorism fund. So they have to they have to create, they have to continue feeding the narrative of the terrorism when there's no terrorism going on in this country. It's just about money. It's the counter-terrorism narrative about money. And let the other crimes continue, let the border go, you know, a havoc, let the children continue disappearing. Let the child trafficking continue. Let the other things continue. But no, we have to worry about counterterrorism because that's where the money is. You know, one thing that is very disturbing and what he, he says is this. The FBI gets by illegally placing people on the TSDB because as I have mentioned on many occasions, the Office of the Inspector General Audit report of the terrorist screening center 08-16 states that FBI doesn't comply with its own regulations when they put people on the terrorist screening database, including just receiving nominations from the legal attaches in different countries and just putting them in the in the terror screening database. And so what what the the, the real effect of that is that they get to decide who gets tortured overseas so you have an american agency that gets to determine the citizens the foreign citizens that get tortured around the world just let that sink in
0: yes i really don't have anything to add let's just uh watch the actual episode that Stephen friend was commenting on before The FBI informant protocols
3: are another metric that is part of integrated program management. If the expectation is for all agents to have at least two CHSs, confidential Human Sources, on the books, these people have to be providing you regular, productive information uh, that the FBI uses for its cases. Now, they don't have to be for your cases. So in my situation, I was working on child pornography investigations, and I was told that I could go and get an informant to provide me information about drugs. My response to that is, why wouldn't the agent working on drugs want to have that informant? Because it disrupts the two-per-agent narrative that they have that's tied to their quota system. And you can also tie the use and abuse of informants uh, to recent events that we've seen, something like the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping where the informants infiltrated an organization and pushed individuals to commit a crime that they were not predisposed to do because being productive means dollars for that informant if that organization doesn't move forward then they're not going to get their paycheck and finally i think that there's a component to this that is just very frankly racist on behalf of the fbi i've worked on indian reservations and I was told to contact my informant about threats to the Dakota Access Pipeline. This informant was not a member of that tribe and didn't reside in that state, didn't reside on that reservation. When I pushed back and said that this informant probably couldn't contribute to any sort of request for information or collection, I was told, she's an Indian, she
0: might know something. So that was the original video and what i think we need to talk about and i think Stephen steve friend is an american here i also read his book and i think i know him personally and he said the reason he recognized it he recognized the merging of the law enforcement and the political forces because he's a history buff and he knows the history of the 21st century and so he recognized the forming of the dossier culture, which is a culture of blacklists. It can be described as a Stasi regime. It uses informants. People spying on each other, neighbors spying on neighbors. It has the element of merging of politics and law enforcement, which is never a good thing. This is totalitarianism. You can turn your political opponents into targets of law enforcement, or you can turn politics as power. So if you have the power, you can turn anybody into a target of the law enforcement. That is simply cancers. This is malignant, this is despicable. And it's a culture of constant surveillance. And now in the modern times, it's a surveillance under the skin. These are the words of Yuval Harari, and I hope you know who Yuval Harari, and he used this term, surveillance under the skin. He said that the COVID epidemic will be known as the beginning of surveillance under the skin regime. He said that two weeks after the WHO announced the pandemic. And so the vaccines were still in the making but he was already making this prediction so we are in the era of bias surveillance under the scheme, and of course the dossier culture it also includes something I hope I can pronounce sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry my German is not up to par, but it's a, what it means, it's a psychological warfare technique of decomposition and disruption. This complicated word in German actually means decomposition. And we know this is what we call the organized talking um, vehicular or on foot, and it's street theater, everything that is a part. I think the dossier culture is forming in front of our very eyes and of course if you know the history there was this country called the german democratic republic that had nothing to do with democracy and these are the stats from uh, 1989 right at the at the peak of of the Stasi regime right before the wall came down, I think in November of 1989, yeah, in November, November 6th, I think. Population of East Germany in 1989 was 16.4 million people. The Ministry of State Security, or Stasi, uh, had 91,000 full-time employees. There were 200,000 unofficial collaborators estimated number of dossiers was 5.25 million that means that the 32 percent of the population of the east germany had dossiers on them that is a dossier culture and that's what i think we're turning in do you want to live in this kind of country so this has been the, I'm sorry, I had to uh, change the name. This study. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I hope our viewers are enjoying this because this, this really hits the nerve of a lot of things that is wrong with us, with our country, with targeting. Uh, this is a multifactorial issue and we need to discuss it in depth.
1: Here's here's the problem for all all targeted individuals are aware of this reality, not all actually the ones that are aware that they're targeted because uh, we believe that 75% of them don't that they are in handling code four and and most of them don't even know they're targeted, they know that bad things happen to them, but they they're not aware of this program. But it is my plea today for all of those watching to share this video with somebody who is not a targeted individual and, and ask and pray pray to them, please oh, look at this with an open mind, because the, the reality is that the FBI has admitted and the DHS are admitting to doing these things, they're openly admitting to doing these things and to rolling out these programs to the population, the spying programs for the sake of safety and, and it's not such a thing. And so um, we are aware of them, but we're preaching to the choir. We need this to go out to people that don't realize that they are relinquishing their freedoms to these agencies that before they know it, they will be,
0: big teams of them as well yes Anna. we definitely have a situation on on our hands that we need to deal with our show is coming to an end and so would you like to say something to our viewers to uh, close the show anna
1: Keep the faith, you know, just I know that the attacks on most of you have gone up and continue to be up. I see it as a sign of desperation by the government criminals, knowing that their days are numbered and uh, they're just desperate to see who else they can uh, take down. And And I just pray and hope that you stay strong because um we have come a long way and it's just a little bit more that we need to stay strong in order to defeat them and and that's uh that's my prayer to all of you thank you
0: thank you Anna. and as for me i'm calling this episode the dacia culture our democratic republic is transforming into something unrecognizable without anyone asking our permission, just like our bodies and brains are being transformed into nano-bio contraptions without anyone asking our permission. I reject the dossier culture with all my being. It is despicable, it's cancerous, and deeply unconstitutional. No law enforcement agency should be creating a dossier on an American citizen without having a reasonable a reasonable suspicion but the fbi doesn't think anymore it's a law enforcement agency it's looking more and more like the stasi or like the kgb it's recruiting informants and practices panoptical surveillance resulting in creating more and more dossiers for domestic terrorist cases for which they incentivize without any respect to due process This is extremely important to us, targeted individuals, because we represent the very extreme deformity and the abuse of the malignant dossier culture. So I'm making it my personal responsibility to fight it at every step of the way. Until we can say the dossier culture is over, we'll be here every Sunday. Rain or shine.